The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, it is an honor and privilege to welcome Mr. Jim Gerritsen. He and his wife, Megan, and his four children operate Wood Prairie Farm in Bridgewater, Maine. His farm has been certified organic since 1982. He's also the president of the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association, which in 2011 filed a lawsuit against Monsanto. The association represented 83 plaintiffs and over 300,000 people. He has been featured in the New York Times as one of the elders of organic farming. And on Earth Day 2014, he was an eloquent guest speaker on a panel at the United Nations Interactive Dialogue of the General Assembly on Harmony with Nature. The focus on Mr. Gerritsen's farm is producing organic seed potatoes, seed crops, vegetables, and grain, and it is my pleasure to welcome you today, Mr. Gerritsen. Hi, Melinda. How are you? Well, I am great, and I'm so impressed with the messages that you gave the UN panel and all of the work that you've done that I I knew I needed to have you on air to reach this audience of Food Sleuth listeners. One of the things that you mention in many of the things that you've written is that you believe that organic farming is superior. And I wonder if you can help our listeners understand how and why you came to that conclusion. Well, I think when you look at what they call deliverables, I think organic comes out on top every time. If you look at the desire, the goal of agriculture is to produce food that sustains people, that sustains the environment, and can be a steady system that goes on perpetually. From that standpoint, I think organic farming and organic food as a result of organic farming is superior. Properly grown with a good rotation and a good program of soil building by having crops that add organic matter to the soil and biological activity, that produces food that is nutritionally dense that is high in mineral and vitamin content, and that becomes a healthy way of sustaining human beings that eat food, livestock uh, that eat feed. Additionally, if you look at the environmental impact, when you're not spraying persistent chemicals, as would be the case on an organic farm, you're not putting that chemical spray onto the organic crop, you're not putting it onto the organic farm, It's not drifting onto a neighbor. It's not polluting the environment or the water. And those are all benefits. So it's a benefit for us and our family as we farm and and grow our crops. It's a benefit for our neighbors that work for us as co-workers helping us to raise our crops. And it's a benefit all around. So in terms of the deliverable of high-quality food, uh, minimal impact on the environment, organic is ahead. And then there are subsidiary advantages to organic. For example, it's been shown that organic farms have a better trade turn in terms of employment in the local community. And much of our problem in rural America today is that we don't have enough good jobs. And organic farms excel in providing good farms for rural America. So 
all in all, I think organic is the superior system. So the question then comes, can organic farming feed the world? You know, we've all heard this message that we have to have this technology to feed the world. And yet I thought it was interesting on the UN panel, there was another person who spoke who said that she wishes that we could be as immersed in nature as we are in technology. So the question becomes, do we really need the technology to genetically engineer seeds to feed the world, or can we do it through organic farming systems? Well, the first thing you have to understand about genetic engineering is that it was not an invention designed to improve production or agriculture. It was an invention to take away from the commons the ownership of seed. That's the express purpose of genetic engineering. Beginning in 1980, the United States Supreme Court ruled that life forms could be patented. Within a few years, this interpretation extended to seed, and this, more than anything else, is what propelled the big six multinational chemical companies to reinvent themselves as biotech companies. And part and parcel of the biotech technology is seed patenting, where when they introduce seed into the marketplace, it comes with very strong patent holder requirements. Uh, A farmer, for example, that wants to use the seed, say, from Monsanto, say a genetically engineered seed, corn, uh, soybean, canola, something like that, they have to sign a licensing agreement that's very draconian in content. Among the provisions, it says that a farmer cannot replant the seed. And replanting of seed is a tradition which has gone on in agriculture for the 10,000 years that we have been practicing it. To take that right away from farmers, I think, was a terrible mistake on the part of the Supreme Court. And here's another concern that I have. Uh, Your ancestors and my ancestors turned the crops that we now rely upon for our food supply. They, through selection, they turned crops that had once been wild into food crops that are the staples that support the human population on the planet today. And that selection took place over the course of 10,000 years. In that way, it's the commons or a common ownership by all human beings of that genetic resource that we call seed. So when the Supreme Court erroneously granted these multinational chemical companies, again, reinventing themselves as biotech companies, when they granted them these patent rights, I believe that that was really a form of biopiracy because those multinational biotech companies, they never compensated the people for taking the asset from the commons. And in any development of a crop, especially a genetically engineered trait, where they take a gene from one species and through a manipulation going on in a laboratory, they shoot with a gene gun into this to get this genetically engineered event. They are doing just a tiny, tiny modification to what has been a 10,000-year development of seed selection. And we never received any compensation from the biotech companies for having, having taken that genetic resource from the commons, from the public. And I don't think that it's right for them to be able to steal 
to cede ownership that belonged to the people and to appropriate it for themselves. I don't think there could be fair compensation. I agree with you. I think that this is a violation of the public trust doctrine, which you made reference to on the UN panel, that I think we as citizens need to recognize that it sounds like these genetically engineered seeds have been marketed to us under this glorified reason to increase yields and protect us against climate change. But really what it's about is ownership or domination of the seed material. And like you, I don't believe that our government has the right to steal this asset from the commons and make it private. Well, and you touch on the very basis of this new developing concept, the public trust doctrine, and I say new with kind of a a different usage. The fact is the public trust doctrine is a concept that goes back to Roman times for a couple of thousand years, so I wouldn't say that it's new. In fact, it was a predominant concept within American policy back in the 1800s. But what it says is that government is limited in what abilities it has and it is not able to sell off part of the public trust. And I'll offer an example that can illustrate that. Say if a a factory decided to locate in a given town, and that factory produced a product that, through its process, created pollution coming out the smokestack, the government agency might think that it was authorized to grant a permit for a certain amount of dollars to allow that factory to conduct their business and to pollute the air when, in fact, the public trust doctrine holds that it is a violation of the public trust for the government to sell the right to pollute. And if that pollution then leads to health problems among, say, the children in the town, that it simply does not have the authority to sell the rights of nature that is owned by all of us, and that that is invalid. So I would extend, in my way of looking at it, the concept of the public trust doctrine to the seed resource that is part of the common heritage of human beings going back for 10,000 years. And I, for one, do not believe that the U.S. Supreme Court had the moral right to sell off our heritage to these multinational biotech companies that over the last 20 years have shown us that their concern is for maximizing profit, for being aggressive against farmers and basically being accountable to no one. Such issues as the contamination issue where they refuse to contain their contamination on their side of the fence, and instead they're now allowing this contamination to contaminate good, healthy crops like organic crops that we grow on our farm. Exactly. I think it's become an abusive system. I agree with you. So let's talk a little bit about the lawsuit. Let's give everyone an update in terms of what transpired, and perhaps what comes next? Well, about four years ago, in March of 2011, a lawsuit was filed in federal district court in Southern District of New York, which is Manhattan. And uh, the lawsuit is known as Osgata et al. v. Monsanto. And I am president of the group Osgata, which stands for Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association. And we were the lead plaintiff in a very large plaintiff group challenging Monsanto over their transgenic or genetically engineered seed. And there were two goals that we were trying to achieve from the lawsuit. One was that we were trying to gain protection for organic and non-GE farmers that should they, through no fault of their own, 
become contaminated by Monsanto's patented technology. We wanted protection from the courts to prevent Monsanto from being able to sue us for patent infringement. The reason is because under U.S. patent law, whether you are intending to possess or even have knowledge of possession, if you possess another's patented material without having signed a licensing agreement, you were in violation of their patent rights and could be subject to patent infringement litigation. And we felt that as innocent farmers not wanting anything to do with Monsanto, that we should not be under that burden. And of course, because we're organic farmers, we have nothing to do with Monsanto. We would never sign a licensing agreement with them. So the one legal protection that we could have did not protect us because we are not customers of Monsanto and did not sign that licensing agreement. The other goal of our lawsuit was to challenge what we think was erroneous granting of patents to Monsanto by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. We were prepared to prove in court that the patents given to Monsanto violated both U.S. law and the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you did have a partial victory. Is it true that Monsanto can no longer sue farmers who have had their fields contaminated? As you say, it's a partial victory. The federal court judge, I believe, had her mind made up before she even heard our oral arguments, and she ruled against us. We immediately appealed that bad ruling, and it went to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit in Washington, D.C., and that was a three-judge panel. Our lawyers had an oral argument before um, that three-judge panel. So as a result of that, uh, the ruling that came down, I think, about four months after the oral argument, the three appellate justices repudiated the ruling of the district court judge, basically implying that she missed by a, a long shot what the problem was. They acknowledged that contamination of organic farmers was a near certainty, as we had claimed in our lawsuit, and which that lower court judge had dismissed as inconsequential. But I think these judges were trying, they were trying to do right, and part of the problem is judges are not farmers and they don't understand agriculture. Mm -hmm. So the protection that they offered us, uh, Monsanto has a, a tremendous propaganda machine that is relentless, and every day of every month of every year, Monsanto and their biotech allies are churning out propaganda saying how beneficial their crops are, how ineffective organic crops are, and how farmers have nothing to fear because we're the friends of Monsanto. Well, the fact is we don't believe a single word from Monsanto. Monsanto has been the most aggressive patent holder in the history of the world. They have gone after innocent family farmers falsely accusing them of stealing their patented technology. And many of these farmers have had to settle because uh, they would face bankruptcy trying to fight the aggressive, powerful corporation Monsanto. So we figured that with the amount of genetically engineered crops, and especially for those of us who were growing organic seed, it was simply a matter of time before we would then be contaminated, which is tantamount to patent infringement because we don't have the legal protection. Again, that's why we went to court. So the court agreed with us. They agreed that we deserved the protection, but they put a caveat. They said that 
we would be protected should there be trace amounts of contamination found on our crops, on our farms, and they define trace amounts as 1% or less. What they did not address is when those amounts get greater than 1%, and since transgenic contamination is invisible and can multiply over years without even being noticed by a farmer, it's very easy to have contamination levels over 1%. And we didn't, there wasn't any specific protection should that case arise, and that's why we appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, which at the beginning of last year, almost 12 months ago, they refused to take the case, which meant that the decision reverted to the Court of Appeals, and that decision does give farmers this partial protection so long as they are farming within the United States. However, we had Canadians within our plaintiff group that were farmers that sold crop into the United States, and under U.S. patent law, they are liable for patent infringement because of their business transactions. So because the U.S. Supreme Court and the U.S. Court of Appeals do not have jurisdiction beyond U.S. soil, those Canadian farmers are friends and allies in Canada. They were left out in the cold and have no protection. And we didn't think that was right, and that's why we appealed to the Supreme Court. But in the end, the Supreme Court has offered something like 8,000 cases every year, and they're only able to accept about 80 to 100 cases. So there's only about a 1 in 100 chance of uh, a case being accepted, and and we were in that uh, larger group that was passed over. So we did gain a partial ruling. I just wish that the Court of Appeals judges had understood better the plight of farmers who basically we should have the right to defend ourselves, and that's what we were asking the court to grant us so that Monsanto could not turn around and sue us. But we do have that partial protection for the first time in U.S. history. Farmers do have partial protection, but we wanted full protection just as any American would want. Sure. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mr. Jim Gerritsen. He and his wife, Megan, and four children operate Wood Prairie Farm in Bridgewater, Maine, and he is also the president of the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association, which in 2011 filed a lawsuit against Monsanto. You know, Mr. Gerritsen, the group that is not included in this lawsuit, in my opinion, are consumers like myself who... I find out, for example, that there are the herbicides that are used with the genetically modified crops are circulating in my bloodstream. They're in my rainwater. They're in the Mississippi River watershed, the fourth largest watershed in the world. And I feel like if there was enough consumer outcry, if we really understood just how contaminated our food was, that perhaps the Supreme Court might take another look at this. I know that there is great opposition to GMO food labeling. And I know that you and I both support labeling for the simple reason that we believe that consumers have a right to know what they're eating. But I do believe there's a larger group of plaintiffs waiting in the wings to say, enough. Well, I don't dispute that at all. I think that's actually the case. We're business people. We raise organic seed. This is how we make our living. We want our customers to know every bit of information they can about our seed. We're proud of it. We want them to know because we know that it's going to benefit them. Look at the biotech industry. They take exactly the opposite tact. They are trying to hide from consumers the truth about their product. Any discerning consumer needs to ask themselves, why is this the case? Any company with any reputability would want consumers to know about their product, yet Monsanto and the biotech corporations, they want to deny people 
their right to know, and people should be very suspicious of that. What we've found is that the biotech companies, and Monsanto is the, the grand example of that, their word is worth nothing. They can't be trusted. They have no respect for the truth, and by their aggressive prosecution of farmers through patent litigation, they've shown their true colors and their bullies. And uh, American family farmers should get the protection they need from both uh, the courts and from the Congress. But so far, that's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. So moving forward now, does the Organic Seed Growers and Trade Association have a plan for the next strategy in terms of trying to get our seeds back into the commons and to protect public health? And what can we as consumers do to partner with you as a qualified, conscientious farmer? How can we partner with you to make a difference? Well, I think regaining control of the seed supply is one of the most pressing battles that we have in agriculture today. I think the system of public ownership of seed has served us well for virtually the entire 10,000-year history that human beings have been engaged in agriculture. And the uh, control of seed by seed companies really is a a recent development. It began in uh, the late 1800s. Prior to that, seed was traded among farmers. It was replanted. And with the development of hybrids about 100 years ago, that became the first ability for seed companies to control seed by having a special cross-breeding uh, methodology, which meant that if you saved your seed back, it would not come true. So farmers were forced into having to buy their seed every spring to get that hybrid figure that sometimes would give farmers more uniformity or, or a higher yield. And uh, my belief is that now the GMO crops or the genetically engineered crops is the second generation ramped up to a great degree that is taking this right away. And and it doesn't stop with uh, just genetic engineering. There is now the process of corporations using utility patents to take some of the traits, for example, the red color in lettuce, and to gain a patent on that. So it could be that you have an heirloom lettuce that your great-grandmother has been saving and handing down generation after generation that is red in color. Now the courts are granting utility patents so that You may be in violation of a utility patent, which has been granted by the courts to this supposedly novel technique, and and I don't find that a valid argument at all. In fact, another point I'd like to make, since we're on this legality, is Monsanto will go with a new invention to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and say, this is brand new, this is different, this is worthy of a patent, and then the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office gives them a patent. They take this exact same product and they go to the FDA and they say, you know, our product here is substantially the same as everything else, so you shouldn't require us to label it. And then the U.S. uh, Food and Drug Administration agree with them, and that's been policy now for 20 years, and it's scientifically absolutely indefensible. The idea that genetically engineered crops are equivalent to their conventional non-GE counterparts is superficial and totally uh, unsupportable from a scientific standpoint. Yet, it is the politicians in the pocket of the corporations like Monsanto that have developed this policy. And then we have the old reality of the revolving door, where you have members of industry coming into the government, 
performing a role as a regulator, a so-called regulator, making decisions in favor of Monsanto, then going back to work for Monsanto or one of the other biotech companies. So unfortunately, the public interest is not being served because of these different conflicts of interest. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you mentioned in a video clip that's available online also is that you believe that consumers' greatest weapon are the choices that we make every day. And yet I fear that our choices are being whittled away and that we have these illusions of choice. And I wonder if you would leave our listeners, our consumers, with a message moving forward. Well, we're given the right to vote once a year. But the fact is all of us, farmers included, we can use our wallets every day and spend our dollars in such a manner as benefits our families, as benefits our community, as benefits the world and the planet. And that's one reason that I'm such a strong advocate of GMO labeling. I want people to have that information so they can make an informed decision as to where they're going to spend their food dollars. And I believe that if consumers have that information, they will pull their food dollars away from genetically engineered crops, which I think are not good for agriculture, they're not good for farmers, they're not good for consumers and their families, they're not good for the planet, they're bad for the environment. I think let's let the free market work, let's let transparency reign, which is a hallmark of a democratic system. And I think that's what Monsanto and their allies are petrified of, is that the people will gain enough information that they are going to run, not flock, away from those crops. So I think people should be supporting their right to know the various efforts. Here in Maine, we passed the second right to know GMO labeling law in the United States. Uh, Our friends in Connecticut have passed similar laws. And in Vermont, in fact, the biotech industry and the junk food industry is now challenging in court the right of the state of Vermont to pass legislation that would take place within its own boundaries to require the labeling of uh, GMO food. And I think this is an assault upon the democratic process, which after having been, you know, I've known about Monsanto and their genetically engineered crops now for 25 years. I know their tactics. I read the article in Vanity Fair magazine seven or eight years ago called Harvest of Fear, which documents how Monsanto intimidates rural Americans and farmers in an effort to establish total control and domination over the seed supply. So I think that their opposition, they're spending tens of millions of dollars to keep consumers in the dark, and in some cases in Washington State last year, laundering that money through the Grocery Manufacturers Association, the junk food lobby, by hiding from consumer the true identity of which corporations were contributing against the people's right to know. I think that that's a good litmus test. So part of what I would advise your listeners, support your allies, believe your friends, don't believe biotech. Biotech is out for control and consolidation. They have a death culture based on greed and power, and this is completely inconsistent with the democratic principles that everyone in this country holds dear. If everybody could plant an organic garden, I think that would make a big difference. And when you do that, use organic seed. Mr. Gerritsen, I want to thank you so much for all of the information that you've shared with our listeners today. 
Just a reminder, Mr. Gerritsen operates Wood Prairie Farm in Bridgewater, Maine. He has a wonderful website. It's woodprairie.com. We'll post that on our radio station's website. And to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you for joining us, and thank you so much, Mr. Garrison, for being with me today. Thank you, Melinda.